Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You guys, Ooh. it's breaking gals news. <laughs> we are going back on tour with live in-person shows. Oh my god. It's only been three several years, years <laughs> since uh. the last time we did that. We're a little rusty. You're not going to want to miss this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, please don't throw tomatoes at us. We are going to Texas, y'all. Yeehaw! <laughs> How do you like me now? Um, Texas tea. What's our first stop? Ooh, well, first, we're going to be in Houston on Wednesday, June 8th at White Oak Music Hall. We have absolutely loved this venue in the past. We can't wait to go back, and the doors for that show are at 7 p.m. Yep, Mm -hmm. Wednesday, June 8th in Houston, Mm -hmm. 2022. Yep. The very next day, Thursday, June 9th, we're going to be in Austin. All an ass to Austin in a van. We love (laughs) Austin. Mm -hmm. So that show is at the stateside at the Paramount. Oh, love that venue so much. If you know, you know. It's a Mm -hmm. great venue. And last but not least, the gals are going to do Dallas. Oh, we'll do it, Dallas. We got a live <laughs> show at the Southside Music Hall Saturday, June 11th. So, yes. Dallas, we love to see you. You're a great town. Yeah, and for tickets to any of these shows, you can head to our website, wineandcrimepodcast.com. These are up. They are for sale, and we want to see you. We yes. do. And if you have very specific questions about the shows or about the venue or tickets or parking, please contact the venues directly because we... We know nothing. We know nothing. We barely know what we're doing, but we will be there on time. (laughs) Woohoo! Can't wait to see you in Texas. See you soon. You are listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm Kenyon. I remembered to say my name. OMG. Oh, I'm Lucy. And I'm Amanda. Oh my gosh, we're just on our game today. Look at us go. See how long it lasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably not long. <laughs> Never lasts no, long. Probably not long. Also, it's thunderstorming where I am. So if you hear loud booms, just mm. whatever, it's fine. I'll take shelter if need be. So. We have a very special gals pick this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all about us. It's yep. all about us. <laughs> we'll get We're to the it. center of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> and that is why we selected the topic of narcissists. Indeed, I we did. We may learn this. things about ourselves today. That we didn't, that are hard to confront. Uh-huh. That we've never wanted to admit to ourselves before. You know what? I don't know if, I don't think any of us are true narcissists. Sounds like something a narcissist would say. I think we're mm-hmm. vain. 
We probably um, think this song is about us. We'll get to, we'll get to all of this. We can die. Oh we can self diagnose later. Oh good. Great. Okay. <laughs> I'm a tier three necrophile. Oh no, that was different. Okay, sorry. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord. All right, Amanda. What is our wine crime pairing for narcissists? Well, you know, come on. We couldn't not pair our own wine with narcissist yeah. crimes. <laughs> we had to have a bottle with our faces on yeah, it. Yeah, like, are you fucking kidding me? It would be completely stupid if we didn't. And this comes at a perfect time because we have launched our new varietals. The red is the same because it is literally perfection. perfect. It is the perfect red blend. But we have a new rosé. In fact, it's so new that it has like just gone to to label print. So I don't even have the the one with the label on it yet. I have the sample which still says wine and crime on it. So it's still narcissistic. But this is a refreshed Grenache Senso uh rosé. It's 75% Grenache. 25% Cinso, because that is math, and that is how math works. Mm-hmm. And it, regardless of the fact that it is 50 degrees in the Midwest, where Lucy and I are right now. Oh, God. It's hot as balls where I am, so. Yeah, this is like, open. this is a literally perfect summer rosé, because you're going to mm-hmm. get, like, hints of strawberry, hints of watermelon, hints of berry, but it's really nicely balanced. It's leveled out with acidity minerality it finishes nice and dry it's not too sweet this is like a perfect poolside sipper but it's it's, a gorgeous color it's absolutely Mm -hmm. stunning it's this beautiful pale pink it's it's literally the perfect wine and we gotta warn you there's only a hundred cases of this so you're gonna want to get it while it's hot or should i say cold because you should not serve this hot (laughs) and i think i'm pretty sure the last two rosés that we had sold out Pretty they darn did. quick. Really fast. So if you want to yeah. get your hands on this, you should head to our website, wineandcrimepodcast.com. If you go under the wine tab, you can see a big feature uh, for the Gals Custom Wine. They're gorgeous. They are collectible. I highly recommend. Giftable. They're giftable. Yeah. I highly recommend getting the three pack because you actually save money mm-hmm. by getting the three pack. Um, it makes each bottle less expensive and it saves you on shipping. So just get them all because we also launched a new Sauve Blanc to like make. Oh my god, I'm Lucy so super happy. excited! Even though that it's gonna be a uh-huh. while before I can drink it. Right, the Sauve Blanc is also so new that it hasn't been updated on our website yet. So we will go ahead and do that. Thank you for the reminder. But <laughs> this is all amazing. This is a popper. So I'm popping a wine and crime wine with a wine and crime XOXO, the wine and crime gals wine key. It could not get more narcissistic than this. <laughs> I also want to point out that because we were doing narcissist crimes at the last minute, I was like, shit, I got to put on a little makeup. Like I really have to I go I literally for it. was like, I'm going to put on eyeshadow. Yeah, I didn't do that. But <laughs> I did put on mascara. That's how you know I've put in some effort. Yeah, <laughs> minimal effort. All I'm right. still wearing a robe. Well, but- yeah. I love that. Can't have it all. Can't be dressed and made up. That's too much. I got dressed up for the uh, metaphysical fair that I was at just just an hour ago. Lock. And wh- what did you get read? Didn't you get some reading mm, done? My yeah, you aura. sent us a really weird picture without context, and I was deeply confused. I thought you knew I was at the fair and that it was pretty no obvious idea. what the just, photo was. Just but I got Lucy my floating in a green cloud. <laughs> just her head. It's yellow green, mostly Sorry. yellow. Chartreuse. Mm-hmm. My uh, heart chakra is really 
powerful, apparently. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I got a whole booklet just to read through it. I'll show it to you later. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm very yellow. Fantastic. I feel like having a whole booklet about your aura is also very narcissistic and on brand for this episode. So on brand. I feel like you were confusing narcissism with just being really into yourself. Right. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Mm, All right. But before we do, shall we pop? Let's do it. Yeah. Here we go. (gasps) Oh, wow. That's a perfect pop. Literally perfect. (laughs) Oh, so Chris. Yes. Oh, we should expect nothing less from our own wine. Cheers. Cheers. God, she's so gorgeous. I am stunning. All right, Lucy, what is our background? And I'm guessing a lot of psych for narcissists. Yeah, don't you shake those bones now. I'm not shaking shit today because it is a lot of psych. So narcissism, according to my lover, Encyclopedia Britannica, Mm -hmm. is the pathological self-absorption, is pathological self-absorption first identified as a mental disorder by the British essayist and physician Havelock Ellis in 1898. I'm sorry, but God damn it, this rosé is good. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, we are Incredible. We're perfect. (laughs) Yep. Oh no one God. can tell us otherwise and don't like, ever confront us about run it. Run to the internet and get this. It mm-hmm. is so fucking good. Okay, I need sorry. to order Continue. myself a case because For later. I feel like all you bitches are going to buy them out and I'll not even be able to get more than one bottle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. Okay, so narcissism what? is characterized by an inflated self-image and addiction to fantasy by an unusual coolness and composure shaken only when the narcissistic confidence is threatened and by the tendency to take others for granted and or to exploit them. Okay. Mm-hmm. The disorder is named for the myth- mythological figure Narcissus who fell in love with his own reflection. I mean, same. I have a <laughs> picture of Narcissus on the drive. Yeah, he's... Yeah. He Look at him gazing into that pool. He's in love with his reflection. Well, that is the worst haircut I've ever seen. I'm not going to lie. I Oh, I like it. it. I love it. I am all here for this. this it man- looks like he has like half payas, mm-hmm. but the rest of his head has been shorn and or is balding. God, and then he so has good. like a very curled mm-hmm. mullet in it's the like back. It's like a Farrah Fawcett mullet. I it's think so it looks good. like when babies are like too young to get a real haircut, they just have yes. really fucked up hair for like six months. <laughs> yes. I love it. And then- they have like cradle cap and are balding on the back because they're always on their back. And then you have to like Curly. put them in little space buns or and they I look wonder, like this. Yeah. I wonder if this was intentional from the painter, but the reflection kind of looks like white Jesus. Oh, like godlike. It was painted, I believe, by like Michelangelo or one of okay. them. So it could be. Yeah. So intentional. Yeah. Who knows? According to Sigmund Freud, narcissism is a normal stage in child development, but it is considered a disorder when it occurs after puberty. Oops. Mm-hmm. So, like we're talking about this horrible haircut, narcissus. The term narcissism comes from a first century book written in the year eight eight. A.D., written in the year eight (laughs) by the Roman poet Ovid. (laughs) I, like, can't comprehend that. Yeah, no. Eight. (laughs) The year Ocho. 
Yeah, that's in <laughs> the one after seven. Yeah. <laughs> God. Metamorphosis book three tells the mythical story of a handsome young man with a horrible haircut, Narcissus, who spurns the advances of many potential lovers. When Narcissus rejects the nymph named Echo, who was cursed to only echo the sounds that others made, the gods punish Narcissus by making him fall in love with his own reflection in a pool of water. And when Narcissus discovers that the object of his love cannot love him back, he slowly pines away and dies. Well, that's not true. What about self-love? Well. <laughs> I love me back. <laughs> okay. Okay. Glennon <laughs> Doyle, that shit. <laughs> um, so at the time, the concept of excessive selfishness was just called hubris. It mm. wasn't until the late 1800s that narcissism began to be defined in psychological terms. Since that time, the term has had a significant divergence in meaning in uh, psychology. It has been used to describe a sexual perversion, a normal or healthy developmental stage, like like Freud said. Right. Part of adolescence. Pre-puberty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also a symptom in psychosis. Mm-hmm. Like kids can't help it. No. And like. Uh, they're going to be the center of their own universe. That's how right. children are. Right. Right. I still am like that. Right. All humans are to some degree. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get into what a narcissist is right. and it's not just being self-obsessed. Mm-hmm. Right. So one prominent clinical theory of narcissism is from Austrian psychoanalyst Otto Kernberg, who Ooh. posits that narcissism, quote, results from the child's reaction to coldness and lack of empathy on the parent's part perhaps stemming from their own narcissism. According to Kernberg, the child becomes emotionally hungry and responds with rage to the parent's neglect. In this view, the narcissistic defense reflects the child's attempt to take refuge in some aspect of the self that evokes admiration in others, a defense that ultimately results in a grandiose and inflated sense of self. Narcissists, in Kernberg's view, are grandiose on the outside but vulnerable and questioning of their self-worth on the inside. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do everything they can to, like, push that, that down. Yeah, and protect yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Including, like, a, a coup. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> With kids, I kind of see it differently as, like, part of their lack of, like, object permanence also. Where it's, mm-hmm. like, they are not capable of putting their perspective in right. someone else's you know, mindset and like thinking about things from that person's perspective, because in that stage of development, that child doesn't exist once it's out of their sight. Yeah, right. Exactly. doesn't exist if it's out of their sight. And the only thing that's always in their sight is their own like two hands perspective. Right. (laughs) Themselves. Right. Uh Uh-huh. So the Mayo Clinic defines narcissism as, quote, a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. But I have at least two of those. We'll get to the checklist. (laughs) But behind this mask of extreme confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that is vulnerable to the slightest criticism. That I don't really have. I I have an inflated self-esteem. <laughs> it's You're like, whatever, that's just your opinion. Yep, You're just I'm... grandiose <laughs> yeah. everywhere. I am so fucking grandiose, you guys. <laughs> Maybe a god complex. Yeah, Ooh, that's no. fine. I'm it's, fine. 
So like I was saying, it's easy to dismiss an egocentric person as a narcissist, but believe it or not, not all assholes are actual legit narcissists. Mm. So narcissistic personality disorder is diagnosed when a clinician observes at least five of seven specific traits. So the the ones I'm thinking about the DJ trying to check them all off. Let's oh for sure. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Looking back, I'm like, oh, that was an abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. and I think he had narcissistic personality disorder. A lot. I mean, a lot, if not all, abusers do. Yeah, because they other people exist to serve them and please them. Mm -hmm. I mean, people abuse for all sorts of different reasons. Well, right. But he also like got off on telling me that like at least like sexually that I'm not like the best that I'm not the best he'd ever had and like trying to break down like my self-confidence and you're like yeah I am well (laughs) in in the moment no I was not because I was just the craziest thing ever to say to one's partner you're also you're having you're choosing to keep having sex with me what why what it made no fucking sense he's just an asshole such a piece of shit so anyway there's my trauma for the day it's fine (laughs) Look at me. Yeah. So the following seven like traits aren't exactly the traits that they use like from like the DSM five. Right. But they're pretty close. So this is just what I'm going with. And keep in mind that these that this diagnostic rubric refers to significant impairments. Okay. So there could be instances of any of these things, but if they're like Right, like nobody's perfect, you're gonna have like bad days or you're mm-hmm. gonna like fuck up and be an asshole and then, like, realize it later and feel bad about it. Yeah. Unlike a narcissist. Mm -hmm. Okay, so these are nine specific traits and the accompanying symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder. The first is grandiosity. Mm -hmm. So this is an exaggerated sense of self-importance, feeling superior to others, and the feeling that one deserves special treatment. Mm -hmm. And feelings are often accompanied by fantasies of unlimited success, brilliance, power, beauty, etc. As a SoundCloud DJ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And a short king. I feel this only <laughs> when in the Delta Lounge. Mm. I've never <laughs> been in the Your Delta grandio- Lounge. It is pretty great. I, the Delta like, Lounge also does give me a grandiose feeling yeah, of superiority. I feel like I deserve special treatment mm-hmm. inside and the Delta su- Lounge. And a soup and salad bar. And Yeah. Yeah. Right. And first class. You get off on being bumped up to first class. Getting bumped up for free to first class is one of life's true pleasures. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Kenyon checks this one off. Got it. Yep. (laughs) Number two, an excessive need for admiration. You must be the center of attention. This person often monopolizes conversations and patients feel slighted, mistreated, depleted, and enraged when they're ignored. Mm. Hello. It's me. (laughs) Check, check. Okay. (laughs) I don't feel like I have to always be the center of attention, but I definitely monopolize conversations. It's because I cannot shut the fuck up. You also do not like being ignored, but who does? Right. You know, like that one I feel like is kind of loose. But I'm very happy to like celebrate others when it's like their special night or like- You know, and I don't feel the need to be the center of attention there. You can Mm -hmm. control yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. I sometimes can control myself. 
I wouldn't like propose <laughs> at a wedding, <laughs> but yeah. I would think about it. Which people <laughs> did do at my wedding. It's oh, fine. Oh yeah. Wait, but on the day of your wedding? Or no, I guess the week? it was the day bo- day after. All right. Yeah, I mean, wasn't that, that they're, nice. in Af- they're in South Africa. They're out doing beautiful it's things. It's fine. They're on vacation. Frankie, I love you. Yeah, it that that we're gonna give that one a pass. That That's a little a bit special circumstances. It was like a really oh, big and I deal actually am, like I really don't care. Like it no, was just a joke. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but can you renew your vows so I can get proposed to at your vow in, renewal in South Africa? Sure, anywhere. I don't care. Love I'll go anywhere to ruin your vow renewal with my special day. I actually <laughs> do already have an engagement gift for Amanda, so hurry up. I want to get it out of my house. Don't talk to me about it. You know exactly who to talk to. You send him cat memes every I'm day. wearing his sweatshirt. You're wearing his business sweatshirt right, right now. now. Oh, my God. Okay, number three. The narcissist has uh, superficial and exploitative relationships. So relationships are based on surface attributes and not the unique quality qualities of others. People are only valued people are only valued to the extent that they are viewed as beneficial. Mm-hmm. None of us have this. No. No. I also though, I not not me, but I do sometimes think about like there's no way that the DJ doesn't know about the podcast. Like there's no way. He probably doesn't listen. Mm-hmm. But there's no way that he doesn't know. Right. And so I like to think about how much he's Mainly fucking because kicking we himself. Billboards. I mean, yeah, but he doesn't live here anymore. He <laughs> got know. ran out of town in with pitchforks. So he got run he <laughs> But that gives me a little bit of gratification to be mm-hmm. like, oh, we are successful. How's your SoundCloud DJ situation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think that's totally valid and fair. Mm-hmm. I think so. Comeuppance is great, especially against Someone who was abusive. Mm-hmm. I love comeuppance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love just desserts. <laughs> like only dessert. When I get my bird, <laughs> I'm going to name her comeuppance. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> Florence comeuppance. Florence Nightingale comeuppance. Lushy, wets, pussy comeuppance. <laughs> Please, I still have not recovered from that. That's from a drunk dive, y'all. Go listen. No, from no Gak. it's Gak. That's from Gak, y'all. Go listen. Uh-huh. And my throat hurt. From screaming and laughing so hard at that. Holy shit. Okay, continue. We are so funny. God, we're so good at this one. (laughs) Oh my God, we're so good. I'm so glad to have you as friends. It's very beneficial to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, number four, a lack of empathy. So a narcissist is severely limited or totally lacking the ability to care about the emotional needs or experiences of others, even Mm. their loved ones. I don't think we have this either. Nah, I am I empathetic to a fault, I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. according to my aura, especially when it comes to strangers needing, needing group a photo. photos. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. When we were leaving the <laughs> metaphysical fair, so it's at the fairgrounds. So around mm-hmm. it is a is like a, you know, a 10 foot chain link, probably not 10, like an eight foot chain link fence. And there's like a couple rows of barbed wire above it. Mm hmm. Oh, this is so disturbing. Apparently, a possum tried crawling over the fence and got stuck in the barbed wire. No. no. Was baby. it still there? There, like a groundskeeper had like a, like a, like a broom and no. was like shoving it and trying to get it out. And it was like 
flailing. Oh, no, oh it was alive? It was alive. Well, that's good. Uh, <laughs> did she make it? I drove past it. I saw the guy with the broom shoving <gasps> upwards, and I was like, what the fuck is he doing? Oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> no. There's a possum in, in our yard. It's enormous. Yeah, and Josie, Josie's friends with her, and we've named her Paula. <laughs> Paula Possum. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I love Paula. That's Protect cute. Paula at all costs. I Paula know. is not afraid of us either or Josie. Oh, absolutely not. Like, State she fair was possum right is... by my back door. And I was like, hi. Can they you... often are not timid or afraid of no, humans. They're she just so looked weird up at looking. me. <laughs> oh, lucky. Yeah. They're so lucky. I like their long noses. They're rat tails. Okay, back to narcissism. Number five, oh, right. <laughs> they have an identity disturbance. So their sense of self is highly superficial, extremely rigid, and often fragile. Okay. Self-stability depends on maintaining that view, the view that one is exceptional. Mm-hmm. The grandiose sense of self is easily threatened, and narcissists retreat from or deny realities that challenge their grandiosity. So does that this, ring any bells of any recent presidents? Oh yeah. This mm. definitely accounts for the like instant violent reaction when challenged or like embarrassed. Oh yeah. Humiliation you know that, is like Yeah, isn't that like Margaret Atwood who's like men mm-hmm. are worried that women will laugh at them and yeah. women are worried that men will kill them? Like yeah. that's like narcissism in a nutshell. Yep. And like and I Leo's. have my I have my thoughts on Margaret Atwood. There are some problematic things about her, but like that's a pretty fucking spot on. Oh, yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. Assessment of Mm -hmm. like narcissistic, specifically white male energy. Mm -hmm. And also why abusers will um, react so violently. Right. If they're embarrassed Mm -hmm. or. Yeah. Or that'll be the first thing like. They'll play it off in public, but then behind closed doors, mm-hmm. why did you fucking embarrass me like that? Or like, yep. you're such a fucking whore. Wow, does that make me look? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely experienced a little bit of that. Oh, honey. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I hated that man. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, number six. The narcissist has difficulty with attachment and dependency. Mm-hmm. So they rely on feedback from the environment Relationships only exist to shore up their positive self-image. Mm-hmm. Interactions are su- superficial and intimacy is avoided. There mm-hmm. we go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number seven, chronic feeling. They have chronic feelings of emptiness and boredom. So when attention and praise are not available, narcissists feel empty, bored, depressed, or restless. Yeah, they're just an, a whole, like a deep, deep well with no bottom mm-hmm. of, of need. For Mm -hmm. attention and praise. And they can't fulfill that need themselves. Right. This makes so much sense, too. God, with, like, I'm just thinking back on all of this shit. Like, changing up careers, not feeling satisfied, like, anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, would go work at a new restaurant. And if they weren't, like, the top dog there within, like, five minutes, then, like, that place is fucked up and I don't want to work there anymore. Yeah. Like, that kind of dumb shit. Or, like, anytime someone kind of reads their number mm-hmm. and Calls them out a little bit. Yeah. Then they have to get out of that situation oh, or yeah. like and they, ruin they, that other person. They totally did that. They like stirred up drama that like didn't exist with someone who is currently one of my closest friends and we've remained extremely close friends and like got that person kicked out of their apartment and like basically left here with no friends because 
he created divisions with everybody that yeah. he like didn't he like picked off everyone that he didn't deem worthy of his attention and then mm -hmm. like tried to use other people against that person to like alienate them from the friend group. Yeah. yeah. It was fucking wild. It's like Donald Trump with fucking Mitt Romney mm -hmm. making him go to that dinner and then like humiliate him or Chris Christie. Like that mm -hmm. is that is the playbook. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Calling their wives ugly. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Okay, number eight. They have vulnerability to life transitions. So they have difficulty maintaining reality-based personal and professional goals over time. Mm -hmm. Compromises required by school, jobs, and relationships may feel unbearable. Okay. Mm -hmm. Narcissistic young adults may have a failure to launch. Because they mm. expect and they need to be the best and super right. successful from the jump. Right. Without putting in without the work. putting in the work or mm -hmm. or being patient at all, mm -hmm. and that's and just not how life that, works. Yeah, then they freak out and lose their shit. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or like if you're in like say a university setting and they're like, "Well, I'm sorry, like you have to do these prerequisites, mm -hmm. or like you have to like pass this test to get to this level of like college course, like basic well, good for life that. rules." Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it goes back to feeling like they are the exception, right? Mm -hmm. In every in every situation. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing, it's not really like a trait, but narcissistic personality disorder is also a significant risk factor for suicide and suicidal attempts and ideations. Or murder-suicide, which we will get to. Oh, Great. yes, we will. So people with uh, NPD have trouble handling anything that they perceive as criticism, and they can become impatient or angry when they don't receive special treatment. They can have significant interpersonal problems and easily feel slighted. They or can, like invent mm. uh, scenarios if they just like already don't like someone or they like sense that that person is a threat to them. Is in a threat any way. to them, then yeah. they will invent mm. a slight. They need yep. their environment to match up with their worldview. Mm -hmm. Right. So they'll, even if it goes back to the fantasy thing. Mm hmm. They can react with rage or contempt and try to belittle the other person to make themselves appear su superior. They can have difficulty regulating emotions and behavior. Go figure. They can experience major problems dealing with stress and adapting to change. They can feel depressed and moody because they fall short of perfection. Mm -hmm. And they can have secret feelings of insecurity, shame, vulnerability, and humiliation. And we'll kind of get to – there's different types of narcissists. Some of mm -hmm. them are just like – so fucking delusional that they're like, mm. isn't that inner core of fragility that they recognize? Mm. Well, they don't even have like the perfectionism because like you said, they're so delusional that they just say are it perfect. and that it's true mm -hmm. but, in yeah, their mind. But there are different types of narcissists and some right. of them are, I mean, as with everything, it's a, it's a spectrum. A spectrum, yeah. Right. So findings uh, from a range of studies suggest a picture of the narcissists as people who use their friends to feel good about themselves. They mm -hmm. pander for attention and admiration to support self-images that are positive but easily threatened. They are constantly on alert for even the smallest slight that they perceive as disrespect. Perhaps most important, narcissists striving to self-enhance at the expense of their friends ultimately cost them the friendships. I feel like anyone that talks about that uses like the word disrespect mm. a lot in their daily lives. I feel like that's a little sus. Yeah. I mean, certainly when white people do it. 
that's real sus. <laughs> it depends on the circumstances. It's, it just gives very like Real Housewives right. vibe. Yes, yes. There Everything is like, well, that, that was disrespectful. Yeah. But then it mm-hmm. also just like suggests that you deserve everyone's respect yep. across the board regardless. And that posturing of like, well, I would never treat anyone like that. I am superior. My mm-hmm. behavior is superior to your behavior. And mm-hmm. I am the last word in what is polite and what yep. is respect. And yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I thought this was interesting. Heritability studies using twins have shown that narcissistic traits as measured by standardized tests are often inherited. Interesting. Mm. Narcissism was found to have a high heritability score, indicating that the concordance of this trait in the identical twins was significantly influenced by genetics as compared to an environmental causation. Huh. That'd be tough to be a narcissist and an identical twin. Oh, to try to be like, I'm special, I'm superior, and there's this not carbon copy of me, but like in your own close, probably in your own grandiose delusion, though. Right, you'd be like, Well, fuck this carbon copy of me, I'm the best one, right? Oh, or you have like a collective narcissism. Mm. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. competitive collective narcissism.com. So people in more individualistic societies tend to have higher levels of narcissism when compared to collectivist societies. It's like why we have the most mass shooters in the fucking mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Capitalism. One reason. <laughs> One study looked at differences in advertising products between an individualistic culture, which they use the United States, mm-hmm. and a collectivist culture, which they use South Korea. Mm-hmm. In American magazine ads, it Uh, it found there was a greater tendency to stress the distinctiveness and uniqueness of the person. Conversely, the South Korean ones stressed the importance of social conformity and harmony. Hmm. I feel like that's like a little bit vague. It's a little bit like using the word in the definition of the word, but Hmm. go off this study. (laughs) What? (laughs) Like they were like, we noticed that ads in individualist cultures are more individualist, whereas right. ads in collectivist cultures are more collectivist. It's like, yep. Uh-huh. I think they were just using the ads as a – to, co- to To convey how that society is. Right. Like you can say that the society is collectivist, but like, okay. The ads would be one uh, piece just of evidence show for it. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this is from Psychology Today. Narcissistic personality disorder can be subdivided into positive and negative types known as prosocial or antisocial narcissism. Inherent in the current perception of narcissism is a quality of being in it for oneself and often misusing or exploiting relationships for one's own benefit. This best characterizes the antisocial narcissist, so often an extremely difficult self-centered individual who expects excessive gratification from others in their life. By contrast, pro-social narcissists derive credit from positive accomplishments. They strive to do good deeds, often in public, and to make other people happy with them. In this way, they derive the validation that they, too, desperately need. Right. Mm. I feel like if if you're in a role where, like, like fundraising, either for political causes or, you know, nonprofits or something like mm-hmm. that, like, it would help. To be a pro-social narcissist in mm-hmm. that role. Like, mm-hmm. you kind of have to be to be good at it. It's mm-hmm. really hard to do fundraising if you're not. Yeah. Right. 
And so that's kind of what I was saying, that not all assholes are narcissists and not not all narcissists are assholes. They're not Mm -hmm. the malignant type necessarily. Sometimes it's just like you're very like focused and ambitious on something that could be good for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And then you happen to derive your self-worth from that. Right. Yep. So exactly what I'm about to say. If there are pro-social narcissists in your life, you may know them by how much fun they are to be around and also, Uh-oh. they they take <laughs> deep satisfaction in that reaction to them. Mm-hmm. They want to be liked sometimes a little too much. Yeah. They want to be known and appreciated by everyone in their lives, and their intentions are overall benign. So, mm-hmm. Amanda, you're just a pro-social narcissist. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I accept this. Yeah. yeah. Far, I accept. Far from showing a lack of empathy, as in the person with traditional narcissistic personality disorder— these people use their empathy to tune into what pleases you, and in doing so, they find validation. Mm-hmm. Also, Libras. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, this is like <laughs> the most fucking Libra energy yeah. ever. Yeah. By contrast, a malignant narcissist doesn't do anything for your benefit. Mm-hmm. They are liable to lash out at or attempt to destroy other people in order to prop up their fragile sense of self. So Otto Kernberg, that guy I talked about earlier— First described the malignant narcissist in the late 1980s. That should be 1890s. Whatever. No, I mean, 1980s. Those, those numbers are all the same to me. In the late... In the late... Describing it as a blend <laughs> between the narcissistic and antisocial personality disorders. These people can form long-term relationships, but their behavior is unstable and they can become aggressive if they perceive themselves to be threatened. And also it depends on the type of relationship because you can be surrounded by yes men and enablers Mm -hmm. and those relationships can last a long time. That doesn't mean they're healthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Internally, they are working hard to protect their grandiose self-perceptions and can often be thin-skinned perceiving everyday events such as a casual remark as attacks. People with antisocial narcissism also do not feel limited by the truth But when they are caught in a lie, they may become angry. They view the social landscape as something like an enormous contest, and they will do anything to win. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's also another less obvious kind of narcissist to watch out for, apart from the antisocial and grandiose type, and that is the covert or vulnerable narcissist. Sounds scary. Don't be deceived by the name, because these individuals also believe they are superior, but they keep these beliefs inside. Vulnerable narcissists are deeply self-absorbed. They maintain an artificially inflated sense of themselves and believe that they are entitled to more attention than they get. These are like, they like to be the martyr. They're the, I thought of incels when I read this. Exactly, yeah. Incels. It's we'll like, get to incels. Like, Great. they feel entitled to all these things mm-hmm. that they don't have. But they don't necessarily exert it. Mm-hmm. They just kind of or they just whine about it. They just and whine blame about everyone it. else around them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they therefore feel chronically victimized, as though the world the world has failed to recognize their brilliance or specialness. Or like yep. that person in the friend group who like always <gasps> has their feelings hurt and wants an apology. <laughs> yeah. Like always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this, the covert narcissist becomes prone to feelings of depression, even as they express powerful contempt for other people. 
these narcissists too lack empathy. They may be highly sensitive, but their sensitivity does not extend to the feelings of others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just I I I just thought of incels when I read that. Yeah. So here are some tips on how to handle the narcissists in your life. If only I had had this ten years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was it that long ago? Almost. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he broke up with me when my dad died, and my dad died in 2013. Shit. God, that, mm-hmm. I can't believe it. Oh, my it's God. Your long. dad's been dead for almost 10 years? Yep. Jesus. That's, wow. Feels like just yesterday. Like, the end, it, like he died in December of 2013. Right. So it'll, it were like almost two years. So, out, like, eight and yeah. a half years ago. Yep. Right. yep. Wow. Dece- this past December was eight years. Jesus. Jeez. I know. Time is a fucking illusion. It's, it does not exist. No, it's really doesn't. odd. It does not exist at all. Okay. Tip number one educate yourself. You should find out more about this disor- disorder because knowing who they are might also allow you to accept the situation for what it is. And have realistic expectations for that relationship. They're not Mm going to change. They're not Mm going to change. Mm -mm. Create boundaries and be clear about those boundaries. It may upset or disappoint the narcissist, but that's okay. Because remember, it is not your job to control another person's emotions. Mm -mm. Speak up for yourself. When you need something, be clear and concise and make sure that they understand your request. Mm. Uh, watch your wording. Narcissists do not take constructive criticism well, so try to make comments in really careful, positive ways. That's so scary, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Like assuming that you want to keep this person in your life, but right. like you don't have to. But it to. might be like right. your brother, you know, yeah. right. it might be yeah. someone who's You're in your life. You're forced to have a relationship yeah. with. Yeah. Right. Stay calm. Try not to react if they try to pick a fight or gaslight you. If they lash out, think of them as a three-year-old who feels rejected because their parent sets a bedtime. Mm-hmm. Just like, okay, honey, I understand. Anyway, yeah. I'm See still going to do it. I know mm-hmm. that you have big feelings, and it's okay to have big feelings. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to set off the narcissist so bad. <laughs> you have that big feelings. Is, <laughs> I'm, I'm scared for you. <laughs> I know you have big feelings. It's okay to have big feelings. Remember what we learned about how to handle our big feelings. <laughs> now, do you want to walk to your crib, or do you want mommy to carry you? Do you need a popsicle (laughs) are you hungry you get really cranky when you're hungry (laughs) grab a snickers (laughs) um okay create a support we just got murdered in this this fake scenario okay moving on well it would help if you had a support system living with a narcissist can lead to feelings of insecurity confusion and self-doubt because the gaslighting is real. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So make sure you have a core group of people in your life who can support you. And that you can, like, bounce things off of. You can be like, hey, my partner said this and, like, thinks that, like, this is how this should work. Like, mm-hmm. wh- it, what do you guys think? And then your friends can be like, no, he's um, a fucking asshole. Dump him. Yep. Right. But, I mean, that's so much easier said than done. Yeah. Because, like, even when I was with you-know-who, I had you guys, I had that core group, but they can be so tactful and manipulative that, yeah. like, I don't think I really realized what was going on. I never realized how you he was never treating said, you. said, yeah, you did not reach yeah. out. And I, it, like, did. It didn't I, come out until after the relationship was over. And I don't think I really 
understood. I think I was like, oh, yeah, we fight and our fights are kind of nasty. But then, like, it wasn't until my dad died and he, like, really spit in my face on the way out. Right. Not my dad, this guy, that I was able to, like, not center him because I had other shit going on in my life that was far more fucking important. And with that separation, I was like, oh, no, this was real bad. Yeah. I, like, didn't even fucking know. Well, yeah, that's true for a lot of abuse victims. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to know when you're in it. Same thing with, like, depression. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first was extremely depressed, I was 16 and living with that horrible host family Mm -hmm. in France. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know I was depressed until I got out of that situation and came back to my normal self and could look back on it and be like, oh, my God, I was so So deeply depressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Mm -hmm. Ah. Also, find a therapist. Here are things not to do with a narcissist. Don't argue or confront them. As difficult as it may be to constantly tiptoe around them, it can actually be better to manage their need to feel in charge. Might save your fucking life. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, take take this one with a grain of salt. Again, it's like, don't endanger yourself, but also don't enable. And, you know, if you can realize the situation and if you can get out of it, then do and that. And mm-hmm. just to be clear, we are not just talking about abusive people. We're not of just course. talking about partnerships. He's a, right. Uh, you can have your best could be friend your could boss. be a narcissist. It could be, yeah, it could yeah. be, yeah, exactly. It could be your parent. That this mm-hmm. is not necess- This is not necessarily an abuse situation, right? And like you said before, not all narcissists are abusive. Mm-hmm. No, and not all abusers are narcissists. It's right. just, but I, I just want to make I sure that we're that, clear. Like, right. Mm-hmm. That that sentence with a grain of salt depends on the context. Mm-hmm. All of this depends on the context. Right. right. Um. In general, it's. But it could be easier to manage your relationship with the narcissist, regardless of who they are, if you just don't argue with them. Mm-hmm. You can just kind of un- understand where how their mind works yeah. and, and find like better example, ways to communicate and navigate that It's like that not arguing with strangers on the internet. Right, right. Or like Lucy said, it could be your brother, like choosing your battles at the family holiday so that you right. can just fucking get through it. Yep, right. And without exploding the whole fucking family, mm-hmm. yep. that would be applicable in that kind of situation. Yes. Depending on the circumstances and context, of course. Similarly, don't try to direct them. Narcissists like to have control and often fear losing that control. So efforts to kind of lead or instruct or tell a narcissist what to do is threatening to them and it'll often fail, probably backfire. Mm. Don't expect them to see your point of view. Narcissists do not like to admit when they're wrong, so trying to make them see things your way could also backfire. Or it just won't work. It'll just be really, really frustrating. Yep. Mm -hmm. Don't expect deep, meaningful communication. Narcissists have very little empathy, so honest, heartfelt communication often does not get through and can even create an angry outburst or a shutdown response. Or they can use what you've told them later on to exploit you Mm. or gaslight you. Mm -hmm. Don't go over past issues. So don't try to make them see a long line of behaviors dating yeah. back years or say something like, oh, you're just like your father. They won't comprehend the patterns anyway. That's no. like not Well, they'll just deny. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. It, it's not what they understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So instead, stay in the present when you express requests or hurt feelings or whatever. So on the bright side, there are treatments for narcissistic personality disorder, which include various forms of psychotherapies, medications such as mood stabilizers, antipsychotics, antidepressants, and also different behavioral therapies. So if for any reason you feel like you might fall under this umbrella, and if you're able to admit that you fall under this umbrella, don't let stereotypes prevent you from seeking help because it's taxing on relationships, no matter what mm. side of them you're on. Mm. So, And some of these traits might be learned behaviors. Like you said, it's a heritable right. disorder. Right. If this has been your example of how to conduct yourself your whole life, right. it's not well, necessarily also it's, your fault. It's in your genes. Right. Right. Yeah. It's but, like any other mental health condition. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to manage. Mm -hmm. Yep. So interesting. That's my, that's my segment. That's really interesting. I hope yeah. you learned some things. Definitely did. <laughs> About yourself, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. Pro-social narcissism. It's fine. That one's the good one. You got yeah, the good I'll one. Take it. I got the good. I won. Yeah. <laughs> I won that lotto. All right, let's hear. And a quick... I'm the best pro social narcissist. Oh my god, let's hear a quick word <laughs> from our sponsors. You know, it's funny. There are all these gimmicks that promise a great night's sleep, and I've tried them. I had toppers. I had mm -hmm. fancy blankets. I had all kinds of dumb stuff mm -hmm. that didn't work. It's lipstick on a pig, honey. Mm. If you're sleeping on a bad mattress, your sleep's gonna be bad. It's that simple. And that is why I recommend sleeping on a purple mattress. You guys, we're completely obsessed with purple yeah. mattress. Yeah. Uh, and that is because only purple mattresses have the Gel Flex Grid, which is a super stretchy, ultra squishy material that adapts and flexes around pressure points and doesn't retain heat. It's heaven. It's, it's heaven. heaven. It's all the best things that you can mm -hmm. have in one mattress. So mm -hmm. the Gel Flex Grid is amazingly supportive for your back and legs. It cushions your shoulders, neck, and hips, no matter mm -hmm. how you sleep or how curvaceous you might be. Mm -hmm. And unlike memory foam, which remembers things... Too much. It remembers too much. It, like, takes too long to return to its normal shape from your yeah, body Yeah, if it shape. ever does. And it, Ugh. like... Get dust just trapped in there and skin flakes. I don't. Well, I can't. No. Unlike that, <laughs> the Gel Flex Grid system with purple mattresses means that you bounce back as you move and shift. So you mm -hmm. never have that like stuck quicksand feeling that you get with yeah. memory foam. Mm -hmm. I'm just completely obsessed with purple. I have two purple mattresses in my house and a bunch of purple pillows. And my husband mm -hmm. and I had to buy more purple pillows because we fought over the original ones. Yeah, get your own, Zach. <laughs> so try your purple mattress risk-free with free shipping and returns. And financing is available, too. Oh, I love it. So getting a great night's sleep starts with having a great mattress. Get a purple mattress. Go to purple.com slash gals10 and use code gals10. And for a limited time, you can get 10% off any order of $200 or more. That's purple.com slash gals10, 
code GALS10 for 10% off any order of $200 or more. One more time, purple.com slash GALS10, promo code GALS10, terms apply, and treat your sleep. Treat it. Are we ready for my case? Usually not. Obviously, it's sad and dark, but I'll also be giving you three narcissists for the price of one. It's a it's a bogle. There's a main one, but, but then Gorgle. there are two Caldrogal. <laughs> two additional ones. Okay. A bonus, yeah. So Dorothy Hoogstratton, later shortened to the stage name Dorothy Stratton, because stage Hoog, name Hoogstratton is a little tough. It's kind of like Natalie Herschlag. Uh-huh. Was born in Vancouver oh. on February 28th, 1960, to Simon and Nellie Hoog Stratton, who had immigrated to Canada from the Netherlands. Oh, mm. you don't say. It's a cute the, little Dutch family. The name like Hoog Stratton. Mm-hmm. So Dorothy was the oldest of three. She had a younger brother and a younger sister. Her parents split up when she was young and her father like essentially split and abandon the family. And so mom Nellie had to provide for the three young children with just her paycheck as a school cafeteria worker, mm-hmm. which you can imagine was Not tight. Mm-hmm. So when Dorothy was a freshman in high school, she began working part-time at the local Dairy Queen. Oh, I love it. Classic. To help her mom with bills. Mm-hmm. She w- would have been my Aunt Julie's absolute idol a dairy mm-hmm. queen lady <laughs> i wanted to be a dairy queen lady when i was little like as <laughs> my career do. yeah oh, <laughs> i wanted God. to do the gel icing on the ice cream cakes mm. yeah yeah you would have been good at that. too late honey yeah you've got good handwriting you could have really done that do. you're you. a great painter it's not too late follow your dreams <laughs> thanks guys oh. and dorothy would keep this job through all four of her high school years because she and she like I'm sure she kept some of the money for like spending money, but mainly she was like giving her paycheck to her mom to help with the family bills, which is Mm -hmm. very altruistic. Mm -hmm. So it was here that 17-year-old Dorothy met 26-year-old club promoter. No. (laughs) No. That is one step down from a SoundCloud DJ. From aspiring rapper. God. Aspiring DJ. Club promoter, Paul Snyder. Uh, There are photos of all these people on the drive, like lots of photos. And some of the photos of Paul Snyder are redonkulous. So just take a look at this guy. He he was a peacock. The mustache guy? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, so many open shirts. Oh. So much chest hair. So much fur. Wow. Wow, so, that last Yeah, he one. really wanted to be, oh, the fedora. No. Mm-hmm. So Paul styled himself as a high roller, dressing yeah. in mink coats with a bejeweled Star of David necklace. God bless. He also drove a black Corvette, which of which he was extremely proud. Mm-hmm. You don't say. I don't think there are that many high rollers in Vancouver, but fine. You never know. Maybe today. Mm-hmm. So a friend would later recall that Snyder's initial reaction upon meeting Dorothy, again, he's 26, she's 17, and working mm-hmm. at the Dairy Queen, mm-hmm. was, quote, that girl could make me a lot of money. 
Oh, God. Talk about exploitive relationships. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Paul's nickname around town was the Jewish pimp. Oh, God. I was going to say he he looks like he's trying to dress like a pimp for sure. Yeah. And actually, this wasn't an inaccurate moniker because Mm. he had briefly moved to L.A. and tried to make a living as a literal pimp Mm -hmm. in -hmm. Beverly Hills, but had failed and ended up back in Vancouver. Okay. Well, great. However, he'd not let go of the idea of using women as a means to fund his own lavish lifestyle Mm -hmm. or like pretend lavish because he still was like living in an apartment you know like he didn't actually have the means right to do anything yeah he's just pretending right and so paul wooed dorothy who was still a teenager and in high school by buying her jewelry and cooking her dinner in his apartment things that felt glamorous to the teenager who had never known much besides like financial struggle of her right she has no fucking money and she's helping support her family so she's vulnerable to the like grand you know sweep your you he's an older guy giving her attention buying her jewelry and making her dinner in an apartment that is his own yep and he's got a car yeah he's basically fucking he's like a rock star to her right I would have hung out with this guy. Uh, Absolutely. We'd all be vulnerable to some bullshit like that. Right. At that age. 100%. Your your brain is not fully developed yet. No. So in 1978, Snyder hired a professional photographer to take nude photos of Dorothy, hoping to send them to Playboy. And like if she's selected, he would get a $1,000 finder's fee fee. for discovering new models. Ew. God. And Dorothy was uh, only 18 at the time, and but the legal age of majority in Canada then was 19, mm-hmm. which Amanda and I also learned the hard way when we went to <laughs> Toronto when we were 18, thinking that we could drink and we like still then had to fake yeah. our <laughs> age to drink. We, we found a way. It was fine, but um, <laughs> we so, got our apple teenies. We still worry. got our apple teenies in Toronto. <laughs> we <laughs> literally got apple teenies we in did. Toronto. I'm pretty oh, sure I also got an espresso, <laughs> oh, espresso yeah. martini or something. Our end of the night espresso chocolate or Godiva martini. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Oh, we did it. No, they, there's no way they knew we were teenagers with those orders. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, so Dorothy had to persuade her mother to sign a release form allowing her to take these photos. And somehow she convinced Nellie to say yes to this. I mean, I imagine the financial draw, potentially, you know, she's 18. Yep. Yep. It's tough. That's really tough. So the photos resulted in Dorothy being invited to participate in Playboy magazine's 25th anniversary Great Playmate Hunt. Mm-hmm. She accepted, and in the summer of 1978, she moved to L.A. and was ultimately chosen as a finalist in the contest. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's stunning. She's stunningly mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. In October, Snyder also left Vancouver and joined Dorothy in L.A., and the two were married the following summer. So he just Ooh. was like... He just Locking like, this down. Yeah, exactly. Cling into those coattails. Mm-hmm. By this point, Dorothy had changed her last name to Stratton and was regularly modeling for Playboy as well as working as a bunny at the Playboy Club. Mm-hmm. I've heard the name Dorothy Stratton. She was also, uh, eventually she had um, 
an unfortunately short-lived acting career because of this asshole. But yes. Okay. Huh. She was even chosen as Playboy's Miss August of 1979 and featured in the centerfold. Wow. So like her modeling career and her like life at Playboy We're thriving. Is is thriving, is taking mm-hmm. off. But despite her success in the Playboy world, Dorothy was later described by other playmates as, quote, shy, naive, and very uncomfortable with the casual nudity and sex surrounding her. Mm. So she, like, was playing the game and was Mm -hmm. in it, but it wasn't really. She wasn't thrilled to be there. She didn't. Yeah. She she didn't love it. Obviously, there's a lot of pressure to Mm -hmm. provide sexual favors to either Hugh Hefner or, like, other Higher ups. Yep. Partying she, at the Playboy Mansion. And, and yeah. like she just wanted to be a model mm-hmm. she, or an actress. Or an actress. Yeah, like or she, both. Yeah. She didn't, yeah. She never Poor quite thing. got used to it. She was a small town girl, mm-hmm. even though she's from Vancouver. You get what I'm saying. You get it. Yeah. This was, she wasn't interested in that <clears throat> lifestyle. This was, it sounds like to her, this was a stepping stone, like a starting point on the way to the career she actually wanted. Right. But she probably got a little trapped here because this fucking narcissist that married her sees his meal ticket right. by passing her around in these fucking unsafe situations well, that she doesn't even want to goddamn be in. Mm-hmm. Slash, it, it's just exciting. Like, who right. knows if she was even being strategic about, th- about well, she's these relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. It was just exciting. Yeah. She's making money. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, getting some fame. Yeah. I would be all about all of it. Oh, my God. (laughs) So Stratton later wrote in a journal she kept that, quote, sometimes I cried before I went to sleep. A lot of men were entering my life all of a sudden, and a lot of them wanted me. No one was ever pushy or forceful, but talk can be very powerful, especially to a mixed up little girl. Oh, poor baby. So Hugh Hefner... reportedly encouraged Dorothy to break up with Snyder, referring to him as a, quote, hustler and a pimp, as opposed to, like, you know, Hugh fucking Hefner. (laughs) Yeah, I love, well, I mean, he would be the expert. (laughs) Yeah. I just love that, like, you don't want to be with this guy. (laughs) Come be with me. (laughs) I'll take good care of you. Oh, my God, gross. What a fucking shit. The the lack of self-awareness. Yeah, it's so narcissistic. Uh, Yeah. So now we've got two. We've got Paul Snyder and we've got Hugh Hefner. Okay. Also, every time you say Paul Snyder, I think of Rob Schneider, but it's fine. Right. Me too. Same. Actually. <laughs> it kind of looks like it. Mm-hmm. It does. Like it. a little bit. Sure. If you really squint and you close one eye, it really looks like Rob Schneider. Well, <laughs> I'm always closing one eye. That's true. To be fair. So Hefner believed that Stratton could have crossover success as an actress and that Snyder was holding back her career. Because Mm -hmm. nobody fucking liked him. And they would like go to networking parties and whatever. And also it's grossed out by this sleazeball. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or like it's a double. It's it's two sided. It's like people naturally just don't like Paul Snyder. They don't want to be around him. Mm -hmm. And also men that could help Dorothy's career in fucking 1980 don't want her her to be married. Yeah, so she's married. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So indeed, Snyder was a near constant presence. According to one source, he played the roles of Dorothy's, quote, chauffeur, as well as her ersatz manager and acting coach. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. He had mm-hmm. no experience no. acting. Wow. <laughs> but, but all the confidence in the world. Yep. He's the best. He's coach. seen a movie. Yeah. How right. hard, How could, hard it be? could it be? Right. Exactly. He could have been the best. Mm-hmm. If anyone had just given him a chance. Mm-hmm. God. So he was Stratton. <laughs> so Stratton did begin to achieve crossover success, booking roles in the TV series Buck Rogers and Fantasy Island, hmm. as well as a variety of small movie roles. According to one former Playboy employee, quote, Dorothy was important because Hefner is regarded by Hollywood as an interloper. They'll come to his parties and play his games, but they won't give him respect. One of the ways he can gain legitimacy is to be a star maker. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar? That just Mm -hmm. reminds me of Trump so much. Yeah. Like he yeah. just wants to be accepted. Why do you think he fucking like owns the Miss America pageant? Right. He wants to be accepted by Hollywood and like A-list people, but he'll mm-hmm. always be a joke. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he just tries harder. So Hefner was like really invested in Dorothy's career because mm-hmm. of what she could give him. Right. He can hitch his wagon to her star and then be the one who's like, well, I discovered her. I launched her career. And it gives more legitimacy to Playboy Yep. if you can show other young women Mm -hmm. who are aspiring actors, well, this girl made it and she started here. Mm Mm-hmm. Fuck. So Paul Snyder was like, countless degrees more of a Hollywood interloper than Hefner. He's basically right. like just way more of a joke. Well, and Hefner time was like Hefner. at least known at this time. Well, he had like, money. He'd created yeah. like an empire out of Playboy. Right. I feel like this, 1980 this, was like the height of Playboy. Right. Yeah. And this Paul Rob Schneider guy was just a fucking nobody married to yeah. a beautiful woman. Who ha- you know, the only thing he'd ever done was recognize that Dorothy was very pretty and yep. like caught her when she was young and vulnerable enough that he could hitch his wagon to her. Yeah, he's exactly. using her. Mm-hmm. So Snyder knew that his only shot of achieving any sort of success in the entertainment industry was through Dorothy. Dorothy's big break in Hollywood came in 1980 when she was cast in a movie called They All Laughed a romantic comedy that was being directed by Peter Bogdanovich, and it starred Audrey Hepburn and John Ritter. Dang. Big names. Yep. So this was Dorothy's first substantial movie role, and she'd be playing John Ritter's unhappily married love interest, and the film was going to be shot on location in New York City. So now she's going to be across the the country. country away from Snyder. Unless he fucking demands to go with her. So at first, Snyder insisted on accompanying Dorothy to New York, Mm -hmm. but she managed to convince him to stay behind. That's amazing that she managed to do Mm -hmm. that, to be honest. She was a smart cookie, Mm -hmm. telling him that the set would be closed to anyone but the cast and essential crew and that he would just be like bored. Sitting around all day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Smart move. Mm -hmm. Good for her. So soon after Dorothy arrived in New York, she and the director, Peter Bogdanovich, began having an affair and the... And this would continue throughout the film's production. Good for Again, her. Again, she's 20. Well, I have no judgment toward her. Fucking no. do what you want. Yeah. No, not at all. But I'm just saying, like, so much happened in her life. Yeah. And she was still so young. Mm-hmm. 
So in April of 1980, Dorothy briefly returned to L.A. to attend events celebrating her selection as Playmate of the Year. Wow. That's a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a, there's a lot of exposure. I mean, no mm-hmm. pun intended, but that's a lot of exposure. <laughs> and like the fact that she was making strides in her acting career is also part of what made her Playmate of the Year. Yep. Yeah. She's a success story. Mm-hmm. So following this, she embarked on a two-week publicity tour in Canada, which would end with her returning home to Vancouver to attend her mother's wedding and spend time with family. Mm-hmm. Paul did not go with her on this, so she wrote a letter to him from Canada asking for, quote, more freedom in their relationship, the beginning mm-hmm. of the slow breakup. Mm-hmm. Prime the pump, girl. Mm-hmm. I can't with that phrase. (laughs) Prime it. I'm embracing it. It grosses me out, so I'm reclaiming prime the pump. It's like leaf peeping. (laughs) So Snyder's response was to absolutely freak the fuck out and Uh fly to Vancouver immediately and confront her because, Uh like, he could smell blood in the water and was like, oh, my God. Yeah. She wants – she's going to leave me. Mm Mm-hmm. So the two had several heated arguments, and eventually Snyder returned to Los Angeles while Dorothy flew back to New York. In June of 1980, Dorothy sent Snyder another letter, this one declaring that she considered them to be physically and financially separated. Mm-hmm. Snyder responded by emptying the couple's joint bank account. Ugh, always take your money out before first. you send the letter. I'm not victim blaming. I'm just advising. Right. Protect your fucking assets. Yep. Yep. It's way too fucking easy to drain a joint bank account. Yep. Mm -hmm. And he hired a private detective to look into the possibility that Dorothy was having an affair with Bogdanovich Mm -hmm. because then he could possibly get a better divorce settlement or alimony, all kinds of shit. But soon Stratton and Bogdanovich were carrying on their relationship publicly enough that one didn't need a private detective to figure out what was going on. They were just like, together yeah Mm -hmm. and again she's 20 so like right just she told him they were separated it's like the fact that that they were married was like such a technicality yeah it was a business arrangement basically yeah just feel like she just wanted to be broken up and found someone new Mm -hmm. yeah so when principal photography on they all laughed was completed the couple went on a like her and bogdanovich went on a 10-day vacation together in England, and when they returned to L.A., Dorothy moved into his Bel Air mansion, although she also rented her own Beverly Hills apartment to be used as her, like, official address. But really, like, they had moved in They together. were living together, yeah. On the evening of July 31st, 1980, Snyder, who had realized that Dorothy was back in L.A. and was living with her new boyfriend spent hours lurking outside Bogdanovich's mansion with a borrowed handgun before losing his nerve and driving away. Mm-hmm. He would later tell a friend that he had contemplated suicide that night but had not been able to go through with it. Then, on August 8th, Dorothy and Snyder met in person, and this was the first time they'd seen each other in person in months, Yeah, to like discuss the end of their relationship. Mm-hmm. So Snyder tried to persuade Dorothy to stay with him, but she told him that she'd fallen in love with Bogdanovich and and wanted a divorce and, like, it wasn't going to happen. It's over. Yeah. So they arranged to meet again the following week to discuss the financial settlement. The next day, though, August 9th, Snyder embarked on a quest to find a new gun because he'd had to return the borrowed gun to the friend. God. 
He was turned away from a local gun store because of his Canadian citizenship. Okay. Which I feel like would not happen now. Mm-hmm. After which he tried to convince the private detective to purchase a gun for him, but the private detective refused. Okay. Good. So Paul so Snyder. Far, so good. Paul Snyder's like the one man in America who can't who get his hands get on a gun. gun. <laughs> <laughs> like he can't even do that. Well, it's the 80s. It's a simpler time. But don't worry. Paul eventually succeeded in purchasing a used shotgun from a private seller who advertised in the classifieds section. Shotgun. Facebook marketplace. Yep. So that week, Snyder made numerous disturbing comments to his friends, declaring that he was going to take up hunting, but he said it in like a very like tongue in cheek, like looking for attention kind of way. Ick. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And attempting to engage them in morbid conversations about whether Playboy would have time to pull nude photos from an upcoming issue if the model died in the lead up to publication. Holy shit. Why don't you just tell everyone I'm going to kill her? I mean, he basically did. And unfortunately, none of these friends did fuck all about it to protect her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Great. Love it. I'm fine. One of them knew that he'd already borrowed a gun from him. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, they they should have fucking said something, but they're all his buddies and they just ignored it. Mm-hmm. So then around noon on Thursday, August 14th, Dorothy arrived at Snyder's apartment for their scheduled meeting. Dorothy had spent the morning meeting with her own business manager to discuss, like, how much she should offer him as a monetary settlement. And her manager suggested that Dorothy should just begin communicating entirely through her lawyer and, like, stop going to see him in person. Yep. It's not safe. It's not safe and whatever. But Dorothy replied that the process would be quicker and easier if she just dealt with him by herself. And, like, she had been good at dealing with him. Right. She knew him, how he operated. Placating him. Mm-hmm. And she didn't – I'm sure she wanted to avoid, like, tons of lawyers' fees and it sounded like a hassle and – Fuck ton of publicity. Right. So, like, I get where she was coming from, but in, I don't know, men are horrible. So, well, in hindsight. Yeah. Right. So, around 8 p.m. that evening, Snyder's roommates, who had been out all day, returned home. So, again, Dorothy had come over that morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, no, she came over at noon Mm -hmm. to his place. That's morning to me. Right. (laughs) So, 8 p.m., the the roommates get home. Mm-hmm. They notice Dorothy's car in the driveway and the fact that Snyder's bedroom door was closed. And so they assumed that the couple had reconciled. And were like hooking up. And were like hooking up in, in Snyder's room. Oh, God, no. And so the roommates spent several hours watching TV in the living room and just hanging out. But when the pair still had not emerged after 11 p.m., like not even to like go to the bathroom or like say hi or anything. It's like oh, your roommates no. who thought you were fucking in the living room. Right. But it was Zach doing push-ups. But it was Zach yeah. doing push-ups and our roommates stayed the fuck in their bedroom with the door closed thinking that we were randomly having sex at in 7 p.m. Area. in the living room. Mm. <laughs> no. Yeah. The 7 p.m. part is the most egregious. Like very rhythmic. <laughs> high traffic time for the living room. Right. All my shows are on, and you're fucking in the living room. <laughs> and they didn't even eat dinner that night. <laughs> They're still traumatized. Why was he doing push-ups for that long? He wasn't. I think they were just so, like, 
on edge once the sound, the sound ended. <laughs> what the sound ended. <laughs> we'll let the, we'll let them cool off Fuck, before we come out of our room. Fucking incredible. I was asleep in my room. Anyway, that tracks. So, um <laughs> 7 p.m. I had She's out. Okay, so it's 11 p.m. They're like this is weird. So they opened the bedroom door and they found the dead bodies of both Stratton and Snyder. Oh, no. He murder-suicided. Fuck. Both were nude and each had a wound from a single shot from a shotgun. Ugh. According Death by shotgun is gross. According to the timeline later constructed by police, Snyder had raped Stratton and killed her within an hour of her arrival at the house and then shot himself approximately one hour after the murder. Ew. So Dorothy Stratton's body was cremated and her remains interred at the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery in L.A. Mm -hmm. Again, she was 20. Her death became a subject of finger pointing and blame among the men in her life who survived her. Hefner blamed Snyder for her death and was publicly defensive against accusations that he had also exploited her, stating, quote, there is still a great tendency for this thing to fall into the classic cliche of small town girl comes to Playboy, comes to Hollywood, life in the fast lane, and that that was somehow related to her death. That is not what really happened. A very sick guy saw his meal ticket and his connection to power, whatever, slipping away, and it was that that made him kill her. Which, like, is factually true. Right, but there's a lot more to it. I Both. don't blame... Hugh Hefner for her death. No. But he, he definitely is who tried to use her. He definitely built an empire off of exploiting women. So are right. you blameless? I don't think so. Right. You're just a more successful version of this yeah, Paul Snyder guy. You happen to have not murdered anyone. You were a piece of as this entire thing. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't but I don't blame him for her death. But no, yeah, no. he just whatever. Peter Bogdanovich, the director on the other hand, publicly blamed Hefner and, quote, the Playboy lifestyle for contributing to her death, writing in a book he published about his relationship with Dorothy that, quote, she could not handle the slick professional machinery of the Playboy sex factory, nor the continual efforts of its founder to bring her into his personal fold, no matter what she wanted. And obviously there was a lot of pressure for a lot of the Playmates to have a sexual relationship with Hugh Hefner. Yeah. There was a they VH1 made a whole show reality about it. show yeah. about it. Right. He had multiple favorites and girlfriends that lived in his house. and yeah. But there was also just pressure. Oh, yeah. In order in to, general. like, become Playmate of the Year or, like, mm-hmm. you know, a centerfold in this month or whatever. You've, you'd have to, like, have sex with Hugh. Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence that, like, this happened with Dorothy, but, like, I'm sure the pressure, I'm sure she mm-hmm. ex- experienced the pressure of it. Right, right, right. Also, I once, while interning at the National Organization for Women, got to talk about that reality show with Gloria Steinem in a minivan. Amazing. It was kind, of the, kind of the highlight of my life. It's fine. What a weird moment. <laughs> it's a weird moment. Is this why you love Dodge Grand Caravans? Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Poor memory. <laughs> Gloria loves a pilot seat. Mm. So comfy. So um, 
Journalist Teresa Carpenter wrote of the intersection of Hefner and Snyder's views on women in a 1980 Village Voice article titled Death of a Playmate that would win her a Pulitzer Prize, quote, one of the tacit tenets of Playboy philosophy that women can be possessed had found a fervent adherent in Paul Snyder. He had bought the dream without qualification, and he thought of himself as perhaps one of Playboy's most honest apostles. Mm -hmm. He acted out of dark fantasies, never intended to be realized. Instead of fondling himself in private, instead of wreaking abstract violence upon a centerfold, he ravaged a playmate in the flesh. Oh, God. Oh, that gave me chills. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. gross. She concluded the article with the grim takeaway that, quote, in the end, Dorothy Stratton was less memorable for herself than for the yearnings she evoked. In Snyder, a lust for the score. In Hefner, a longing for a star. In Bogdanovich, a desire for the eternal ingenue. She was a catalyst for a cycle of ambitions which revealed its players less wicked, perhaps, than pathetic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, get ready. You guys are going to be so grossed out. Oh, my God. There's more? One more weird, gross twist in this case. Oh, God. This is your calling card. I know. Eight years after his girlfriend Dorothy's brutal murder, Peter Bogdanovich married Dorothy's younger sister, Louise. No, he did fucking not. No, he did not. Gross. After the tragedy, Bogdanovich stayed in close contact with Dorothy's family, even going on family vacations with them over the years. Louise was just 12 years old when her older sister was murdered. Uh, And she was just 20, the same age that Dorothy was, when she married the 48-year-old Bogdanovich. Honey, I hate it. You have so many other options. They would eventually divorce in 2001. So they were married for a while when Louise aged out of the ingenue category at the wizened old age of 33. Well, yeah, you're all all used up at that point. I passed that threshold over a year ago. Yeah, over a year ago. I'm I'm an old shoe now. (laughs) It's just... It's... Hag. It's... It's... Not quite as bad as Woody Allen. It's pretty fucking gross. But it's pretty close. It's gross. uh... Anytime an adult knows a child from when they're an adolescent and then later marries them. It's a little sus. It's nasty. The only time it's okay is in the novel Emma. (laughs) (laughs) I literally can't think of a different example. Well, I feel like it would be different if like you you know, met that child and they were a child and then you saw them again like 20 years right, later. Right, and then you and had like an no other relationship. Rela- yeah, yeah, but exactly. if you no other watched them grow up, yeah, that's yeah. gross. Part, they, were part, they were part of the family, basically. Yeah, They're yeah. essentially nasty. in-laws. They were like, you know, they tried to say it was like they bonded over the grief of losing and, yeah, Dorothy. They trauma bonded. But really, he just kind of like has a pattern. Replicate. He just was like, well, you're the closest thing I yeah, can get. Yeah, he's replacing her. Yeah. At the same age that she was when she was killed. Like, yeah. it's really creepy. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Not yeah. cool, You man. get older, but they stay the same age. Ew. Oh, Ew. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. So uh, that is my case. Just a lot of really you. gross men. Thank you. Cool, thanks. 
Mm. Gross. Mm -hmm. Thanks. I hate it. Can we take a palate cleanser break? Mental health break. Slash ad break. Yes. Please, God. Great, because I got more horrible shit for you. All right. Are you ready for my case? I guess. I mean, you're not. I don't have a choice. You also know it, so it's like this won't be new. Oh, good. Just gonna go a little deeper. Okay. So I I hate this case, Mm -hmm. as I texted the chat earlier. Mm -hmm. And I often approach things in life with empathy, but I really struggle to do that in cases like this. So bear with me. Fair. And you know what? Let the the rage flow through you. Mm -hmm. Like, what is is a wine and crime episode without some deep rage? Oh, no. Mm -hmm. So let's dive in. Okay. Elliot Oliver Robertson Roger. Oh, no. Was Born Why do I know that name? Elliot you Roger. Will, mm-hmm. You will know. Oh, was born no. on July 24th, 1991 in London, England, but I'm not doing geography because he doesn't fucking deserve it. His parents moved with him to the United States when he was five, and they settled down in Los Angeles, California. Though his parents eventually divorced, they did have another child before they split, so Elliot had a little sister. After the divorce, Elliot's father remarried, and Elliot did not get along with his new stepmother, and we'll kind of get to it. Elliot successfully graduated high school in 2011, despite struggling in high school and changing schools twice. He then enrolled in Los Angeles Pierce College, then transferred to Moore Park College, and then transferred again to Santa Barbara City College in Isla Vista, California. Okay, bounced around a bit. Yep. Elliot had a long history of struggling with his mental health. From the age of eight, he had been to several therapists, though as a child, he was not provided with an official diagnosis. As a young teen in 20, uh, 2007, he was diagnosed with pervasive de- developmental disorder, which is a fairly broad and generalized diagnosis on the autism spectrum. And he was also diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Though he was not diagnosed as a narcissist, his eventual manifesto would show that he most certainly was. Yeah. Being different certainly had its drawbacks in grade school. He was bullied and fell deeply into World of Warcraft, was very isolated, and eventually went down an incel path where he made, quote, the one friend in the whole world who truly understood him, and she allegedly abruptly decided she didn't want to be friends with him anymore. Probably because he did something really creepy and weird, and she was like, I have boundaries. My next sentence. (laughs) This is according to him, which begs the question of what may have happened between them that made her uncomfortable with the friendship. Mm -hmm. So he went deeper into his online life, blogging and vlogging about his struggles, openly rejecting taking the medications he was prescribed. And when he turned 18, he stopped attending therapy altogether and went off all of his meds. He started exhibiting violence against young women and couples, once throwing a cup of hot coffee at a young couple being like moderately affectionate in public, like holding hands. Oh, God. God. And also splashing hot coffee in the faces of young women on campus who, quote, wouldn't smile at him. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. There's something like particularly creepy about serial killers and killers who target couples. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. The jealousy. It's It's all just really gross. It's just really weird. It's all incel shit. It fucking freaks me out. Also, like when you're with your partner and, you know, that's like you're safe, you're safe. You feel. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's like as a as a woman, like you feel safer with a partner around and Mm -hmm. they fucking ruin that, too. Yeah. 
In 2013, he tried to push two girls over a 10-foot ledge. Like, it, it might have been like a building balcony at a college party. So not like super high, but high enough they could to get harm hurt. someone. Yeah. So violent. Yeah. He did not succeed, and he got his ass kicked for that. I think they ended up, like, a bunch of dudes intervened, and then they ended up, like, tossing him over the ledge, and he, like, twisted his ankle or some shit. Yeah, dose of um, his own fucking medicine. Right, for which he vowed to kill the guys responsible for beating him up. Mm-hmm. This, in his mind, was the straw that broke the camel's back. Despite multiple reports to police regarding his behavior, the police determined he did not meet the criteria for an involuntary mental health hold or assessment. God damn it. Elliot got to work on a 107,000 word manifesto that he titled, quote, My Twisted World, The Story of Elliot Roger. Oh my God. The fact that he gave it a title. Oh, he gave everything a title and sent it out to 34 people. A first person title. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) Title with a colon and a first person reference. This was like how he titled his fucking. YouTube videos, his blog posts, like, it's so fucking grandiose and over the top. It's so fucking stupid. He sent this manifesto out to 34 people, as well as presenting parts of it on his YouTube channel, which we'll get to. Mm -hmm. He sent the manifesto to family, friends, teachers, really anyone he felt, like, somewhat connected to or even scorned by. His dentist. Probably. (laughs) He labeled his final YouTube video, quote, Elliot Rogers Retribution. And went on about being rejected by women, being jealous of men who were having sex with women, and explained why he was planning to attack the public. In this video, he says, quote, Tomorrow is the day of retribution, the day in which I will have my revenge against humanity, against all of you. For the last eight years of my life, ever since I hit puberty, I've been forced to endure an existence of loneliness, rejection, and unfulfilled desires, all because girls have never been attracted to me. Yeah, through no fault of my own, all I Mm -hmm. did was try to push them over a ledge and throw hot coffee on them and tell them to smile. Mm -hmm. I'm a good guy. (laughs) Girls gave their affection and sex and love to other men, but never to me. It's all transactional. I'm I'm 22 years old and I'm still a virgin. I've never even kissed a girl. I've been through college for two and a half years, more than that actually, and I'm still a virgin. It's been very torturous. College is the time when everyone experiences those things such as sex and fun and pleasure. Within those years, I've had to rot in loneliness. It's not fair. You girls have never been attracted to me. I don't know why you girls aren't attracted to me, but I will punish you all for it. It's an injustice, a crime, (laughs) because I don't know what you don't see in me. I'm the perfect guy, and yet you throw yourselves at these obnoxious men instead of me, the supreme gentleman, end quote. Oh, my God. I just splash hot coffee in your face at random and push you over a fucking balcony, but it's, I'm the supreme gentleman. The supreme gentleman. Yup. God damn it. Yeah, the internalized white supremacy is really wild, and we're going to get to it right now. So despite being of Malaysian Chinese descent on his mother's side, so his father was white, his mother was Asian, Mm -hmm. he was deep into white supremacist ideology. He really rejected his Asian heritage and felt like it contributed to why he wasn't attractive, specifically to white women. Um, And he engaged in violent anti-Black, anti-Asian, and anti-Hispanic, like very specifically ideation. There are quotes 
to this effect from him, but I'm not going to read them because listeners of color don't need to hear more of that bullshit. Yeah, you fuck don't, him. It, yeah, it doesn't need to be said. This is just part we of- We get the picture. Exactly. This yeah. is just part He's of the problem. delusional and racist. Yep. Yep. So he revered his white heritage, writing about how he is a descendant of British aristocracy. Fucking who isn't? Well, yeah. And like <laughs> he was born in London. His dad was British. So like maybe he had a closer- connection i guess but like who fucking cares doesn't matter like fuck you so in this last video the retribution video he declared that quote on the day before the day of retribution i will start the first phase of my vengeance silently killing as many people as i can around isla vista by luring them into my apartment through some form of trickery the second phase of his plan would be a quote war on women he said the second right phase for office i know right the second phase will take place on the day of retribution itself, just before the climactic massacre, my war on women. I will attack the very girls who represent everything I hate in the female gender, the hottest sorority of UCSB, so University of California, Santa Barbara. Roger stated in his manifesto that in his ideal world, he would, quote, quarantine all women in concentration camps. So he's also fucking anti-Semitic. Jesus. At these camps, the vast majority of the female population will be deliberately starved to death. That would be an efficient and fitting way to kill them all off. I would have an enormous tower built just for myself. Like, the narcissism is completely out of control. Yeah, this is insane. Mm -hmm. And gleefully watch them all die. I yeah. am I am speechless. Mm-hmm. It's really fucking bad. I, I remember reading this shit when all this happened. I didn't. I fucking, you were not in the country. There we go. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, I've heard of him. I still can't, like, fully place what when his, you, you can look at a picture his, of him on the drive. You'll it's recognize like, him. It's like the most famously shared picture of him. Right. That selfie of him in the seat of his car, which may have even been taken, like, the day he went out. I think it this. was. Mm -hmm. Or it was the same car that he used. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the grandiosity and the oh, it's he's the sick. rage, he's, and this yeah. is like this is what four chan and eight chan oh we'll is get to it filled with yeah this well, we, shit we will get to it. God, he also dreamed of quote a pure world where the man's mind can develop to greater heights than ever before. Future generations will live their lives free of having to worry about the barbarity of sex and women which will enable them to expand their intelligence and advance the human race to a state of perfect civilization. So he so wanted like genocide. He wanted to kill all women so that he could be free of the desire for yep. sex and women. And so that he wanted to make sense of this. No, I mean, but that's <laughs> part of his delusion. And he wanted to essentially wipe out people of color. Right. He said that he planned to kill his half-brother and stepmother, but was not mentally prepared to kill his father. And his half-brother and stepmother are both people of color. Okay. Didn't mention uh, his own mom. No. Okay. But, yeah. She's also a person of color, but he didn't mention her. But he had a tumultuous relationship with his stepmother, right. probably out of, you know. Well, sh the, his mother was probably out of the picture, like, somewhere else. And these she, people he was still living with. That is not the case. He was living on his own. Oh, um, okay. And his mother and father and stepmother still all lived in California in a in a not super far away area. Got it. Okay. He just didn't, um, just didn't get to that one. Or maybe she just right. falls under all the women in the concentration camp. Maybe. Yeah. 
I mean, I think he just so specifically hated his stepmother, mm-hmm. likely for like replacing his mother, even mm-hmm. though it's like your dad got divorced. Right. Like that's not all on your mom. And so I think he just had a specific disdain for her and mm-hmm. then the child that they, that this woman mm-hmm. and his dad had together after the fact. Mm-hmm. So he started planning this uh, like two years in advance, going to the gun range to practice shooting and acquiring firearms in 2012 and 2013. Now, this video where he comes out and talks about his plan and the manifesto were not public until like the day this happened. Anyone who goes to a shooting range should be asked a series of questions and they should all <laughs> be trick questions. A, and one of them should be, can you please upload your manifesto? And then if mm-hmm. you upload anything, you're disqualified <laughs> from going to the shooting range. I like that. I like that plan. Mm-hmm. He first purchased a Glock 34 pistol, then two additional pistols all obtained legally in California. Then on May 23rd, he carried out his promised day of retribution. So it was May 23rd, I think 2014. He executed the first phase of his attack as promised and lured three men to his apartment where he stabbed them to death. Two of these men were his roommates and the third was a classmate who may have also lived in the building. He then went to a local coffee shop to get himself a coffee around 8.30 p.m. It's not that hard to lure your roommates into your apartment. (laughs) No, I know. It's like he said he was going to lure people... He just He's, killed. He just killed. The he killed his roommate. He killed the people in proximity. Yeah. Uh, so it was at the coffee shop that he uploaded his final YouTube video that I've been quoting and sent out his manifesto via email to the 34 recipients. A copy of the manifesto went to his former therapist, who immediately called his mother, and his mother then called his father. They then left their home separately to make their way to his location and called Isla Vista police on the way to their son. Good. That's, the therapist should have called the police in the first place, I feel. I mean, I, someone called the police right away. So, like, long long and short of it, that's important. I feel like, yeah, those people did what they the cops could didn't do, do at the time. Fuck all to prevent this from happening. Right. But even after multiple reports about his behavior, and even on the day where they could have truly prevented crime. Right. But we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. Meanwhile, Elliot made his way to the Alpha Phi sorority on the UC Santa Barbara campus and knocked on the door, gun in hand. As he waited for an answer, he opened fire on co-eds passing by just out on a beautiful evening in May in California. One was a young couple, one a young woman out riding her bike, and several pedestrians. He then got in his vehicle and drove around shooting at random women on the street. Eventually, he was approached by police, who he shot at as well. They were, like, chasing him in a, in a car, and he shot at them. So just totally opportunistic, random. I mean, less random. He was targeting He targeted co-eds. the sorority, yeah. Yep, and the sorority. But, yes, very opportunistic. He continued to drive around the neighborhood targeting young co-eds, at, the co-eds he was targeting at random. Mm-hmm. Folks out on their skateboards, folks out biking, folks out walking around, coming in and out of shops and restaurants, like, People, it was just absolute chaos. He was eventually hit by one of the shots fired by police, which then resulted in him targeting victims with his car. Mm-hmm. He hit at least one cyclist before crashing his vehicle. It was then that he took his final shot to his own head. Police found him in his car, deceased, with his three guns, several knives, six empty 10-round magazines indicating he had fired at least 60 shots, and an additional 580 rounds of ammunition that were not used. Jesus Christ. So he was like, he was armed up. to the teeth. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad. So six UC Santa Barbara students were killed in the attack. 
19-year-old George Chen, 20-year-old Chen Wenhong, 20-year-old Weihan Wang. They were all killed in the apartment stabbings. And it's like significant that they are all Asian, Asian men. Yeah, exactly. It's like yep. it's like he was targeting himself without Correct. consciously part, realizing the, that. The part of himself mm-hmm. that he hated. Right. And I think he did consciously know that because a lot of his online presence, which I didn't read because I don't want to read his racist bullshit, talks a lot about his issues with being half, half Asian. Asian. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep. So that that is just pure fucking unbridled racism. Self-loathing. Yep. Yep. 22-year-old Catherine Cooper, 20-year-old Christopher Michaels Martinez, and 19-year-old Veronica Weiss were all killed by gunfire. The fact that only six people died, which is um, way too many fucking people. But considering the scope of this rampage right. that he went on it's a, it's kind of a miracle like i can't fucking believe it and that a lot of other people injured he yeah, prepared 14 others were injured jesus mm-hmm. that he'd prepared for it for like what do you say like 2 years, years. or something yeah Shit. i mean i it, it's so sick it, it's so fucking sick so 14 others were injured in the attack, but thankfully survived. One of the survivors, a young student named Bianca, remembers Elliot smiling at her before opening fire, which is one of the most fucking horrific things ever. So in the aftermath of the attacks, calls for gun control mounted and were so obviously successful. Totally, I'm sure. His internet search history revealed hours and hours spent on a side of the internet coined the manosphere-ish. Specifically on forums like Forever Alone and PUA Hate, which is pickup artist. Oh my God. Can you imagine a more mm-hmm. toxic... incel? Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Forever Alone. God. It's so gross. So it's this just, is a quote. It's just, it's exactly like the guy in Buffalo mm-hmm. from last week. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yep. God damn it. So this is from Wikipedia, quote. The Manosphere is a collection of websites, blogs, and online forums promoting to varying varying degrees masculinity, misogyny, and strong opposition to feminism. Communities within the Manosphere include men's rights activists, incels, and men going their own way. The MGTOW. I don't even want to know. I know. Pickup artists, PUA, and father's rights groups. The manosphere overlaps with the far right and alt right communities. You don't say. I think that men going their own way, only because I watched that red pill documentary, Mm. which is so gross. Also, I think it's Mm. like they are completely cutting women out of their lives. Like they Mm. do not associate with women at all. Which like because they because they can't get sex from them. Yep. Right. Yeah. Bye. Mm -hmm. We don't need you. It has also been associated with online harassment and has been implicated in radicalizing men into misogynist beliefs and the glorification of violence against women. Some sources have associated manosphere-based radicalization with mass shootings motivated by misogyny, mm-hmm. end quote. And that, that, also, that overview also completely disregards like racism and anti-Semitism, which are also highly prolific mm-hmm. in these groups. Mm-hmm. So this is just a side of the internet I never want to fucking stumble on, but right. it's just so scary how many of these communities exist. And they're growing. And, pro- and they're, they're becoming growing. more normalized right. by this politicians. Is very prolific. Yeah. This is very prolific, this ideation, and it's all built and like on a foundation. And like Joe Rogan. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
<gasps> it's all built on a foundation of white supremacy, anti-Semitism, xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia, hatred of women, like all of the things. And it's so easy for folks on the political right to stumble upon these communities because of like, it's intentional to have some of these more benign, like shared, pretty common conservative it's a sli- beliefs. It's a slippery slope. Right. So this shared ret- rhetoric like lures people in who mm-hmm. already lean to the right. And then they're welcomed with open arms and just completely it's all bombarded. It's like a patriarchal spectrum that starts mm-hmm. with like daddy daughter dances. Yeah. Coming out <laughs> parties. It's just, it's so fucked up. And like, let this serve as the reminder that white people wrangling and checking our own and our racist family members and like the right wing uncle we hate is literally a matter of life and death for people of color and for women with the threat of violence infinitely higher when the intersectionalities of race, gender, and sexuality are present. I saw a TikTok where a woman was like, I am just sick of wasting my time on dating apps. And so now Mm. I ask everyone, like, what's your most controversial opinion? Mm -hmm. And then she just, like... (laughs) Waits. She she just uploads all of these. And they're just... There's so much just just. Disgusting opinions out there. And it she is just a weeds them out. I don't care if Bill and I end up hating each other. I'm not going back out there. <laughs> I won't do it. I refuse. So in one post on such a forum, Elliot Rogers bragged about getting his first gun and wrote, quote, I felt a new sense of power. I was now armed. Mm-hmm. Who's the alpha male now, bitches? I thought to myself regarding all of the girls who've looked down on me in the past. I have a hang-up about my own dick mm-hmm. and about not getting sex, and so I'm going to buy a robot dick in the form mm-hmm. of a gun. And kill everyone with it. Uh-huh. This story also sparked plenty of bullshit online when the with the hashtag, quote, not all men trending on Twitter in response to the outcry against misogyny and racism. And if you have to say not all men, you're part of the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hashtag, if it don't yeah, apply, let it fly. enough of them. Right. <laughs> Incel communities heralded Elliot Roger as their saint, and he was glorified in memes with, like, his face pasted over religious figures And to this day, incel forums will discuss mass violence as going ER, going Elliot Rogers. And other mass murderers in this movement have referenced Elliot in their manifestos. So now he's like gone down in incel history as like a leader and like a saint of the movement. So that's my case. I hated it. Yep. So did I. I I thought I was going to like this episode. I liked your segment. Thanks. (laughs) We Where we diagnosed Amanda. <laughs> we all learned valuable things about ourselves today. God, okay. I just, it's so scary and our society mm-hmm. is so broken and there are so many of these people. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. really fucking scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the fucking worst. So anyway, come to our live shows. Come to our live shows and and vote. No incels allowed. Please vote. Yeah. Okay. Come join us. All right. 
I don't know. Fucking, I gotta go lie down. I'm sad uh-huh. now. We'll see you next week, maybe, if I still want to do this job. If I still want to work here anymore. <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. We had a good run. We quit. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. We love you. Bye. If you're a fan of true crime, you've probably heard your favorite podcast discuss the link between lead poisoning and higher crime rates. And possibly even heard podcasters theorize about the link between serial killers and lead poisoning. When these topics are discussed, though, it often sounds as though our exposure to lead went away when lead paint and leaded gasoline were banned. But have you heard that exposure to lead in the United States is on the rise? Or that the nearly 90% of the 10 billion bullets sold every year in the United States contain lead? And that minimizing the effects of lead exposure from lead ammunition is part of a widespread misinformation campaign? Hmm, where have I heard about misinformation campaigns before? Tote starvo tactics. The effects of lead exposure are everywhere, but often not seen or heard about. Join us on our journey learning more about lead every Wednesday by listening to United States of Lead. Available on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and other podcast platforms. Let's talk about lead. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers!